have you ever been talking with someone and they start telling you about somebody that they know, maybe a, a family member or a friend or a co-worker, and they're telling you about all the bad things that they've done in their life and all the bad things maybe they're still doing, talking about all the, the things that they believe incorrectly and all the things that just aren't right in their lives, but then they end the statement by saying, but at least they're going to church. Or, you know, they might even tell you about the, the church that they're going to and all the things that they believe is wrong with that church and all the wrong things that church is teaching. But then they end it by saying, but at least they're going to church. Now, I recognize that there is a valid point to be made here. You're talking about somebody who's been out in the world and they're finally giving some thought to spiritual things. Those are the kind of baby steps that we need to rejoice in and rejoice greatly in. If someone is finally turning their life around and they're starting to go in the right direction, perhaps there's a time when we can say this and it, and it really means something strong and valuable. And I also realize that Paul, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 18, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 18, if he can talk about those who were preaching the gospel out of envy and rivalry, and he could say something like this, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. I recognize that Paul can make that kind of statement. Then, then there are times when this kind of statement, at least they're going to church, is, is something to rejoice in. But sometimes I fear that when this statement is made, there's, there's more than that meant. Maybe just kind of under the conscious level, that kind of the idea that, well, I know they're doing wrong, and I know that the church they're going to is doing wrong, and, and I know all this is wrong, but really they're going to church, and that really is going to count for something, and, 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 I, and I really think that that's all that's going to matter in the end. And I, I'm not, you know, I've never heard anybody voice those words, but sometimes when I hear this statement, at least they're going to church, I fear that that mindset is present. And we need to understand that that mindset is just not true. It's just not true. And I'd like for us to take a look at some things in the Bible that hopefully will help us give consideration before we end any comments about anyone with these words, but at least they're going to church. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your love and mercy. We're thankful that your Son died for us so our sins could be forgiven. We're thankful that your Spirit came and gave us the Word so that we might know how to glorify and honor you your way. Father, we ask that you would help us to be living sacrifices. Help us to, to grow in your grace and your knowledge. Help us, Father, to lift you up and to praise your name. Help us to be to sacrifice ourselves with Your Son so that we might live by faith in Him. Father, we pray that we will be on fire for Your will and that we'll get out and we'll spread Your Gospel so that others can also be forgiven by Your grace. Father, we thank You so much for loving us. We love You. Through Your Son's name we pray. Amen. Well, at least they're going to church. I just want to share with you three things that I think modify that and... and should cause us to just really think before we say this. Number one, attending assemblies doesn't equal faithful Christianity. Sometimes I fear in our modern religious world where there's 
uh, all these nice buildings, and we make such a big deal about making sure that you come when the church is gathered, that some folks kind of subconsciously have gotten this idea that making sure you're at the assemblies equals faithful Christianity, and that is just not true. Is being in the assemblies of a faithful congregation part of faithful Christianity? Yes, it is. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 demonstrates that when it says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You may be more familiar with the translation that says, not forsaking the assembly, as is the habit of some. And, and might we just note, I, I know that some would say, well, forsaking the assembly means having given up on it totally. No, it says don't forsake the assembly, as has become the habit of some. You see, the habit of forsaking the assembly would be having given up on it totally, Forsaking the assembly is just neglecting it at any time. And that can become habitual, it says. So we recognize that being at the assemblies is part of faithful Christianity. But attending the assemblies of a congregation is not equal to faithful Christianity. If we keep reading in Hebrews chapter 10, we get to verse 26 where it points this out. It says, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. This points out that even if we are going to the assemblies, if we are continuing to live in impenitent sin, it points out that all that's reserved for us is an expectation of judgment. I want you to think about Romans. In Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 15. Romans chapter 6 beginning at verse 15. Paul wrote, what then? Romans 6.15 Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to moral lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul wrote this to the Roman Christians who would read this in their assembly. He wrote this to people who were going to the assembly. And he pointed out, look, if you continue to live in sin, thinking that grace will increase, the wage of that is death. Now, please don't misunderstand my point. I'm not saying that a person has to be absolutely perfect and make it to the assemblies in order to be saved. I'm not dealing with the person here who is struggling to serve God, who is struggling to grow, who is working on it but still fails at times as he grows in Christ. I'm dealing with the person that leads kind of a double life, a person who is, who is holding back part of his life instead of giving it all over to God. <coughs> Excuse me. A person who is hanging on to some sin instead of turning that over to God and, and walking away from it. Talking about those who live with hypocrisy and inconsistency. 
who try to hang on to sin and to God at the same time. If somebody is just continuing in sin, but they're making it to the assemblies, it's not going to do them any good. And so stating, at least they're going to church, is not really valid. Let's not be happy that people are going to church. Let's be happy when people are adding to their faith virtue, to their virtue knowledge, and to their knowledge self-control, and to their self-control perseverance, and to their perseverance godliness, and to their godliness brotherly kindness, and to their brotherly kindness love. As Second Peter 1, 5-8 says. Let's not be happy when people are going to church. Let's be happy when people are seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness first. As Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 33, let's not be happy that people are going to church. Let's be happy when people have crucified themselves with Christ. And now the lives that they live in the flesh, they're living by faith in the Son of God. As Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Let's not be happy when people are going to church. Let's be happy when people are living sacrifices. As Paul pointed out in Romans chapter 12. And verse 2. But before we leave this, let's make sure that we're not thinking about everybody out there. Let's think about all of us in here. Because here we are. We've gone to church, haven't we? Are we relying on that to mean that everything's okay in our lives? It's not enough to go to church. We've got to serve the Lord. All the time. The second thing that I think we need to consider is that the worship is vain if they're teaching man-made doctrines. Whatever the church is, the thing that the church is doing, if they're teaching man-made doctrines, their worship is in vain. I've got a book in my library. It's called The Handbook of Denominations. It's got a list of over 250 different kinds of supposedly Christian churches. And that was the, what, I think it was like the fifth edition for back in 1981. Now that, man, that's 26 years ago. Imagine what the handbook looks like now. Not to mention all the different kinds of independent churches that are teaching different kinds of things. You know, logic just demands that you just think if there's that many different kinds of churches that are teaching different things when it comes to salvation, when it comes to worship, when it comes to other important doctrinal matters, that, you know, at least some of them aren't teaching what God says. I mean, you just think if there's, if there's hundreds of churches and they're all teaching different things, somebody's got to be getting it wrong. Somebody's got to be making something up. Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 15. Verses 8 and 9. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8, Jesus quoted from Isaiah saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. If someone's attending a church that is teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, all that they're doing is it's not helping. It's not accomplishing anything for them. 
And even their worship, whether it's there with the congregation or alone, personally, or with their family, it says it's in vain. We know what in vain means, right? Useless. Look at Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 21, Jesus said in Matthew 7, beginning at verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These were religious people. These folks were so religious, they argued with Jesus when He started saying they hadn't done something right. They said, we've done all these wonders in your name. Don't you think these were people that went to church? And yet Jesus said, you have been working lawlessness. You have been doing that for which there is no law. You have been doing that for which there is no authority. There is nothing that God has said that allows you to do that. Depart from me. I don't know you. Luke 6.46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? The fact is, somebody can be going to church, but it's in that going to church. They're following lawlessness by teaching the doctrines of men instead of the commands of God. It's not doing any good. And thirdly, lukewarm churches benefit no one who attends. When I thought about this topic, I couldn't help but remember what we find in Revelation chapter 3. The final of the seven churches of Asia. Just read it with me again. I know we've heard about Laodicea over and over again, but let's remember what Jesus said to them. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14, it says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Excuse me, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Laodicea, he says, you're lukewarm. And because of that, I am going to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus said, I would rather that you were hot. I'd rather that you were cold than that you would be lukewarm. But what does that mean? The common explanation of that that I've often heard and have taught before is that, well, well, hot obviously means being on fire for the Lord. And cold means you're just completely opposed to it. And with that picture in mind, what's often been taught is that Jesus would rather us be absolutely opposed to God than only halfway there. Now, I've always struggled with that picture. I've always struggled with that. So I'd like to share with you another possibility for what this picture is actually representing. 
Let's think about hot and cold drinks. And then think about lukewarm drinks and why we spew them out of the mouth. Why do we like hot drinks? Anybody? i got to tell you, when I was driving in today, I really wanted to stop at the Mapco and pick up a hot cup of coffee. So I could just kind of hold it in my hands and they'd warm up a little bit and I could take a swig and it would warm me up. A hot drink is very comforting, warming, satisfying on a cold day. Now, it might be hard for us on a day like today to remember back in August when a cold drink would have been refreshing and satisfying and nothing would have been better than being able to walk inside after we've been working out in the yard on a Saturday afternoon to pick up an ice-cold glass of iced tea. Sweet, of course. But I poured my hot cup of coffee or I poured my ice cold tea on the days that, uh, that those would be beneficial and I take my swig and then I set it down on the counter and I go off and as often happens, Marita hollers at me and wants me to do something. So I go upstairs and go get in the attic or I change a diaper or I do whatever it is that she's asking me to do after, you know, having, of course, complained about it a lot. And finally I get back downstairs to where my drink is and I pick it up and I take a swig and it is now assumed room temperature. What do I do with it? Then I picked up that hot cup of coffee and I start to take a, a, a sip and it's tepid. And uh, Any coffee drinkers? I mean, do, do you like that? Do you like coffee when it's like that? That's disgusting. What do you do? You find the nearest sink and you spit it out. It's gross. doesn't help. It's useless. On that hot day, I go in and I grab my tea and all the ice is melted and, and it's you know, I, but I pick it up and I take a swig and it's warm and, it's, and it doesn't help at all. Oh, it's, I mean, it's just as disgusting. Now, what has really happened here? Those drinks have become lukewarm. They've become useless. How did that happen? The environment around the drink impacted it. We remember from our junior high and high school science, temperature has to level out. If you have a cold drink in a warm room, that, that is going to impact it. The warm is going to warm up that drink. If you have a hot drink in a cold room, it's going to even out. And the drink has become just like the room around it. And now it's become useless. See the picture that, I, that Jesus is really demonstrating here? Here is a church that has become so impacted by its surroundings that it's become just like it. See, being cold didn't mean turned off from the Lord. Being cold just meant being useful in a particular time. And they were no longer useful because they were just like their surroundings. And Jesus said, that's useless. You're going to be just like all the people around you. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And there are churches today that are fine with that. There are churches that are backing off on God's teaching about marriage and divorce and remarriage. There are churches that are backing off on God's teaching about the sanctity of life and the unborn child. There's churches that are backing off on the teaching about purity, about drinking, about gambling, about even immorality. There are churches that are backing off today on the teaching about even homosexuality. What's happening in these churches? 
They're becoming like the world around them. They're being impacted by the society. They are the influenced, not the influencers. And they'll even use worldly means to try to draw people in. Making the assemblies a form of entertainment in hopes that folks will come and, and want to be with us. Now, again, don't misunderstand. I'm not speaking against churches that try to draw sinners in to help them overcome their sin. I'm not talking about churches that, that welcome even what we might call the dregs of society in order to help boost them up in Christ. I'm talking about churches that allow folks to come in by not asking them to change anything. By not expecting change. By being satisfied that they're just going to church. Jesus says, that doesn't help anyone. And again, we can't think about everybody else. What about us? What about us? Romans 12, 1 and 2. So don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Are we different? Or is the only difference in our lives and the folks that aren't here is the fact that we're here right now and they're not? Because if we've become like the society around us, being here is not doing us any good. At least they're going to church. As I said earlier, I understand that there are times when that makes a valid point. But you're just like dealing with our kids. You've got a 12 to 14 month old child that's pulling up on the sofa, but every time they start to take a step, they fall over. We don't have a problem with that. We say at least they're pulling up. But if that child's four years old and he's still just pulling up off the sofa and falling over when he starts to take a walk, we've got problems with that, don't we? Somebody said, well, at least they're pulling up. That wouldn't, that wouldn't comfort us very much, would it? I understand that there are times, yes. And it's a good sign that somebody has started thinking about spiritual things and at least they're going to church. But let's not be satisfied with that for ourselves or anyone upon whom we might be able to have some influence. Let's help them grow to be all that God wants us to be. Let us never be satisfied with going to church. Let's serve the Lord all the time.